Starting up with verse 16 now. Look, I am sending you out as sheep among wolves. What? If, if they're going to be sent out to the wolves, what do sheep need? Say it again. A shepherd or protection or a wall or something, right? Armor maybe or whatever the sheep would need. Um, and the shepherd is all of that. He is all of their protection. So sheep among wolves, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. The word for shrewd is phronimus, which means really resourceful, um, using every tool at your disposal. That's shrewd. It's not shrewd in a negative sense, but shrewd in a you know, I, I think of Thurston Howell III as shrewd in kind of a negative, selfish sense for Gilligan's Island fans. Um, I, uh, not everybody, I can't imagine this, but not everybody's a Gilligan's Island fan. But, um, and, then, uh, uh, and then as innocent as doves, the word for innocent here really means unmixed or pure. Be as pure as, or innocent as doves. So are they, are they compatible can you be as shrewd as a snake and as innocent a dove as a dove at the same time? Yeah. Who's the most famous person you can think of who did it? Well, Jesus. Yeah, exactly, Christ. Um, using every, every tool at his disposal, but not stooping to, to like below the law into sin or anything, or, or even... Um, Sarcasm or anything like that. Just uh, everything was above board. So innocent, unmixed, pure, but shrewd. Um, in, in fact, brilliant uh, when, 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 when talking with people and when, when mixing with the snakes. Okay. Um, be on your guard against people. They will hand you over to councils and they'll whip you with their synagogues. You'll be brought into the presence of governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. So, um, the, and the people here are the Jews. They've been sent not to the Gentiles, not to the Romans, not to the Samaritans and others, but to the Jews. And they were sent to the Jews to talk to them in their synagogues. And so if they're going to get whipped, they're going to get whipped in the synagogues. And to be whipped like this would be taken and the Jews wouldn't have a rostrum in the synagogue. That's a, a post for whipping. But they would bend a, a guy probably over a, a chair. Tie his hands to the, to the bottom of the chair that he's bent over. Very difficult to straighten up if you're bent over and tied to the same chair. Um, especially if your feet are tied to it and your hand, maybe even hog-tied virtually. And then they would rip your shirt away and then whip you. And how many times would they whip you? For the Jews, there was a number. For the Romans, there wasn't. 40 minus 1. 39. 39 was a the maximum. They weren't supposed to do more than 39. It was considered to be lethal to go above 39. If you're whipping with a cat, which is a, a multiple lash uh, you know, several strands, maybe three, five, seven even, usually three, and then every maybe 12 or 18 inches, something tied into the, into the thongs of the, of the whip. So a piece of bone, 
or stone or metal, something that would tear the... What was being whipped? So, so, uh, and, uh, but Jesus says, you're going to be brought into the presence of governors and kings. Why? For my sake, as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. This is the beginning of what I have begun to think of as the doctrine of strange, or the, not the doctrine so much as the, as the, um, oh, the opportunity of strange pulpits. So, wherever you are, they're going to force you to speak in public. So what did you just get? A pulpit. I'll speak about Christ. Um, I'm not going to uh, take people to task necessarily for the, the general sins of the area and what disgusts me about this village. I might talk about a specific sin, if I know it, of an individual in the room, because that would help. But mostly I'm going to talk about Christ. About, and and, and um, in uh, 1 Corinthians 15, Paul will say, I passed on to you what was or what is of first importance. And he gets right to the heart of the gospel. Christ crucified, died, buried, ascended, ro- rose, ascended. And of course that stuff hadn't happened yet. But Christ, the Lamb of God, who has come to take away the sin of the world, that's the most important thing. That's the gospel message that changes hearts. And so even if I get to preach that, or some of it, and they still whip me until I'm unconscious, and they throw me in a prison cell, I got to preach some of it, right? And what might happen? Somebody in that room, probably the judge? No, no. Probably not the judge. And probably not the, what the Jews call the Satan either. Who is the Satan in a Jewish court? Brad? The prosecuting attorney. That's what Satan means. The prosecuting attorney. And so they began to call the devil that, the accuser. Um, but that's really the, just his title. Um, but uh, but the, it probably wouldn't be the accuser, it probably wouldn't be the judge, but maybe one of the witnesses or the guards would come to faith. In Paul's letters, there's, some, there, there's almost always a little thing at the end of the letter um, in Romans 16, 1 Corinthians 16, um, Galatians 6, Ephesians 6, Philippians 4, and so forth, where there's a little list of names. Greet, you know... Greet my friends, you know, whatever their name, you know, greet Molly and Marilee and Sandy and, and, and Karen and all the, except he uses probably male names, but all the, I'm just thinking of my childhood friends. But greet all those people that you know, um, that I know, and, 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 tell, and sometimes it'll be, and greet this person uh, from Caesar's household. So as, you're, as you read through that kind of quickly, because it's just a list of names, there's a little story there in there somewhere in that list of names. There's somebody in Caesar's household who got the gospel and who now has become a believer as well. How did that happen? Well, the opportunity of a strange pulpit probably is what happened there. Sometimes those strange pulpits are sinking ships. Uh, somebody asks you to say something on the, on the, on the village square. Somebody, uh, oh, somebody wants to know where you got that power because you just healed their grandmother, you know, or whatever happened. But use it, 
use the opportunity to speak. Um, how come you Wells people don't let everybody have communion? Isn't that unloving? What did you just get? An opportunity to speak. You've got a question that has been asked. Therefore, answer the question. And take as long as you like. Well, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You had to go back as far as you want to. Um, or go to the, really, go to the Apostles' Creed. That's the easiest one. Go to the Creed and get through the second article and the third article and point out um, that all of these things relate to Christ. And we want people to understand that. And if you can remember the verses in 1 Corinthians 10 and 11 that talk about being careful about who we give communion to because we don't want them taking the Lord's Supper to their detriment or to their judgment, that's based primarily on the teaching in the Creed um, where we're told exactly what our faith is and what Christ did for us. Someone who doesn't believe that um, should not take the Lord's Supper until they understand it. And so we want to teach there. Fair enough? By the way, I mentioned earlier um, in, the last, in the previous half hour um, when John wrote his three letters, do you remember what I said their primary aim was, the three letters of John? They're about fellowship. Yeah, church fellowship. In fact, there is no document in the New Testament that does not touch on the doctrine of church fellowship. Not one. Um, they all, and second and third John, are about nothing else practically. Um, so who not to have fellowship with, who to have fellowship with, um, how to praise one another when we have correct fellowship, how to correct one another when we make a mistake in fellowship and so forth, and how do we declare fellowship with someone? We don't. Fellowship is not declared. Fellowship is discovered. We talk about the teachings of the Bible when we realize we believe and teach the same thing, we don't have a choice. We don't, we don't get to say, but I'm not going to have fellowship with you because you use a weird chalice in communion or something. We're going to say we, we're in fellowship. Isn't that great? That's how we, fellowship is really discovered. Okay. Whenever they hand you, <laughs> okay, Jesus doesn't say if, does he? Wouldn't it be a different sentence if he had said, if they hand you over? But he doesn't. He says, whenever. The, not even when, but whenever. Which is a way of saying that is every time. Every single time they hand you over, do not be worried about how you will respond or what you will say, because what you say will be given to you in that hour. So, do I have to spend hours pouring over the outline of my response. No, it'll be given to me what to say. Um, don't worry about that. In fact, uh, Jesus says, you will not be the one speaking, but the spirit of your father will be speaking through you. How many times in my life, I, and I really don't know the answer to this, somebody has said something to me after church. Uh, oh, what's the... Uh, the words that I, I in, 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 in retrospect, I always think of jokingly as a lie. You know what words those are? 
Pastor, quick question. <laughs> no. <laughs> Maybe not a lie, but a mistaken idea. So, no, it won't be a quick question. Um, but quick question passed, and then, and, then, and, then, and then whatever answer I came up with at the moment to answer them, and I might even have been thinking something like, you know, um, you know my baby is 25 feet away shaking that lamp stand or that, that uh, candelabra. I'm a little bit worried, and I'm, so I'm talking to the person, but I've also got one eye on one of my kids or whatever it is, and the things that you do. Um, or, hey, there's that delinquent I've been trying to get a hold of for 14 months. And she's got her hand on the, on, the, on the push bar to leave the building. I would really like to say, excuse me, I got to chase that lady down. Um, but you answer the question. And um, how many times has that person come to me later saying, Pastor, that I thought about that for a month after you. And, and you know, that thank you so much for the wisdom of what you. And I'm like, well, I don't even know what I said. You know, but it does come. It does come. Trust in your Sunday school faith. Your good, solid childhood faith. And when in doubt, run to the creed and the Lord's Prayer. That's why Jesus gave us those things. Brother will hand, oh, oh, brother will hand over his brother to death. And a father will do the same with his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. Obviously, we have trouble here with the fourth commandment. But uh, why would brother hand over his brother to death? What's the problem in the family? Oh, it could be a firstborn, like, a, like an inheritance issue. I think in context, it's probably over the doctrine of Christ himself. Just which, you know, if you don't believe what I don't believe, I'm going to kill you. You know, um, if you're adamant about resisting Christianity, what did Saul do before he became Paul? He attacked Christianity. He wanted to wipe it out. He became its greatest opponent. And then, one weekend trip up to Damascus later, and he becomes its greatest proponent. Stunned people. Did he begin preaching the gospel everywhere just, to, just immediately after that? No. Do you remember the key phrase in Galatians that tells us how long Paul had to kind of cool it before people would accept him? The phrase is 14 years later. That's when Paul got to go and start doing something. He had to basically stay home for a while. Um, yeah. Uh, but this idea of brothers, fathers to their children, children rising up against their parents, putting them to death um, because of their disagreements. And in our culture, um, when we see this happening today, um, more and more in the last, how many years now? Five? What's the great divisive thing in our country that has caused more hatred and rage and murder? What's the great divider? Do you think it's race? 
I, I think politics is, is also a huge part of it. Maybe, perhaps a combination of the two. Um, but yeah, uh, uh, it, is, it is horrifying. And um, things I would never have heard people say. Uh, but one thing got said uh, uh, a couple weeks ago that stood out to me. I was watching the, um, I can't think of what they're called. I was going to say Watergate trials. That's not right. The uh, January 6th hearings, is that what we call them? Um, and uh, one individual uh, said uh, about the Constitution, um, called it a divinely inspired document. Um, I was so shocked by that. I, was, uh, I, was ac I actually happened to be recording it at the moment. I made a shorter recording of it to someday show in Bible class. I haven't recovered yet to be able to show it in class, but I might be able to because I have it on a little file. Um, I think that the, uh, the, uh, my Sunday school faith, my, my, my desire to put the best construction on everything tells me that that individual, and as my, uh, my professors in college used to warn us that people in politics in general, doesn't matter which side of the aisle they're from or what uh, color their state is. By the way, when did states switch colors with regard to, I mean, with regard to what party you're from? When I was a kid, Republicans were blue and Democrats were red. And now that's reversed? When did that happen? I, I, I really don't know when that happened. Is it just because... Clinton loved Fleetwood Mac that much? I, don't, I have no idea what... Uh, I'm just being facetious there, but I, it, it happened at some point, though. Um, but uh, it's, I don't know if it's Republican or Democrat or if it just doesn't make any difference. But what I do know is that um, people are beginning to... Or people in government often hold the Constitution as if it's God's word. And God's word is not. However... I think that they often are misspeaking because they don't use that language in the same way that, that I would or that we would. Dogmatically, I would never say that any, about anything except the Holy Word of God, the 66 inspired books of the, of, the, of the Bible from Genesis to Malachi, from Matthew to Revelation. Um, however, they're probably saying not God breathed with inspired, but maybe God smiled, approved of, God likes our Constitution as God has liked so many other official documents of other nations, perhaps. I don't know. I'm trying to put a good spin on that. Um, but it, it is disturbing to me anyway. Yeah. Say that whole sentence again, Mark. See, I'm, I'm, I, maybe it's the, my deafness. What is in opposition? That one word? Worldliness. Worldliness. Thank you. Thank you. Worldliness. Yeah. Well, and that's what Jesus says. The, the world, it, it, it's, it's here. You will be hated by all people because of my name. It's the next verse. But whoever endures to the end will be saved. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, does, it does disturb me more and more 
that in the realm of, of, of politics, I want to say two more things about that. Um, people from all sides of the, of the political spectrum um, are beginning more and more to say that their opponents um, are, what, what is the word that's often, are, they'll, they'll say hateful things about their opponents. If you don't agree with me, you're a nut job. Or you're crazy if you don't agree with everything that I say. That's what I'm hearing people from all different sides say all the time. You know, and, and I, I think about the politicians of my youth, of my childhood, and they would try to work together. They would disagree about certain things, but kind of try to work together. We're not seeing any of that today. And our young people aren't seeing, have never seen any of it. Um, and it's very worrisome. I also want to say just that for many, many years, Pastor Sutton and I used to talk about this often. And we haven't really spoken about it as a new staff yet. It hasn't come up, but I'm, I think we probably should. But Pastor Sutton and I would, would constantly remind each other and, 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 and agree that political views in and of themselves don't belong in the pulpit. Um, especially in a congregation like St. Paul's, where you might think you know what everybody's politics are, but you're probably only half right because we really are divided just about evenly down the middle, sometimes right down the middle of a marriage or a cornfield um, or, or, the, or the aisles at 3M or, or, or whatever it is. Um, and <laughs> I saw that. And, <laughs> um, and, and, and therefore, what we want to do as pastors is encourage people to do their civic duty. But I also don't want to tell people what their civic duty is. Um, because that's a matter of conscience um, and not a matter of anything else. Go ahead. The more I think about those primarily French philosophers, the angrier I will become until I blow my top. So I'm going to thank you for saying it, and I'm going to move on. <laughs> Humanism has its origins in French theology. They were naughty men. I know what ring they're in now. <laughs> and when, not if, and when they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Amen, I tell you, you will not finish. Look at the context of the beginning of the verse. When they persecute you, flee. And then what does he say? You will not finish going to the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Finish going is the same way as saying, you will not stop fleeing. That's what this verse is about. 
They're going to persecute you and you're going to run away and you're not going to stop running until the Son of Man comes. It's going to be like that always. And to illustrate that, I just want to do this before our time runs out here. Christians will never run out of work to do on the one hand. Is there always someone to share the gospel with? Yeah. Did I tell you about this? I had a strange pulpit here in the building uh, last week. Uh, there was a funeral and we had an honor guard and one member of the honor guard came in and I said, how's your day going? And he said, well, better than the gentleman who's being buried. <laughs> and the response though? No, he's the best one in the building. He has it best over all of us. And the guy's response to me was, well, don't preach to me here, Reverend. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> okay. Oh, well. So, uh, what does Jesus mean when he says you'll not finish going to the cities of Israel before the Son of Man come? Little, little, uh, little multiple guess here at the end. Does he mean until Jesus catches up with them? Means he's sending out the 12 and when I, when I catch up, that'll be long enough? No, thank you for shaking your head. Somebody respond, good. Un until Easter, that is until Jesus returns from the dead? No. Until the destruction of Jerusalem? That is, the 12 will be working in 70 AD when Titus, the Roman general, comes to destroy the temple and burn the city? No, until the second coming. Our work is never finished. Our work is never finished. This is exactly how far we got this morning. God bless all of you, and thank you again for letting me do this. See you next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.